Hello, welcome to the latest podcast from the University of Brighton. I'm Richard Newman and my guest this week is Catalina Mejia Moreno, Senior Lecturer in the School of Architecture and Design. Catalina came in to speak about a symposium she's organised with Emma Cheetle from the University of Sheffield, Fielding Architecture, Feminist Practices for a Decolonised Pedagogy, which takes place at our Edward Street building on the 24th and 25th of June. We discussed that, but started by talking about Catalina's background. I've been teaching here for the last six years, which has been a pleasure, really. I teach architectural humanities, so it's... um, closer to architectural history, theory and criticism, but we believe that humanities is a richer way of introducing the students to architecture and its discourses. Um, I'm teaching first year, second year, third year, and I also teach in masters. Um, This year I'm also teaching a studio, which has been great because I used to teach studio many years ago and it gave me the opportunity to go back into design teaching, which is a different challenge. Um, but it's also very beautiful and, and it's very it's a, it's a different way of engaging with students, engaging some sort of similar and different questions at the same time, but different ways of um, materialising them, I guess. Great. Can you tell us about your, your background? How have you arrived at, at the University yeah. of Brighton? <laughs> so um, I'm Colombian uh, originally. I come from Bogota. I came to England 10 years ago. So I've, this year is my 10th year in England. Um I came after some years of teaching and um, coordinating the undergraduate architecture program in the Universidad de los Andes in Bogota. And the reason why I came was because I wanted to do a master's in architectural history at the Bartlett uh, with Adrian Forty and Jane Rendell and Barbara Penner. So that was my first step into architectural history. And then I continued with my studies. I um, pursued a PhD at Newcastle University under the supervision of Mark Dorian from Edinburgh and Katie Lloyd Thomas both amazing supervisors. Um, I just completed, it was a long process, but yeah, I'm very happy it's done. Um, And yeah, it's very proud that's out there. And I joined the university, I guess it was maybe five, six years ago, a little bit more than that. Initially, I was invited for CRITS, studio CRITS, um, also to supervise uh, third-year dissertation students. And that was my first step uh, into into university. Those were my first, uh, the first things I did. Um, and slowly I got more engaged. Then um, I had the opportunity to apply for a position, which I did. So I'll be here like two or three days a week. And I've been there for the last six years, uh, which has been great because I, there's teaching architectural humanities, a solid group of, of tutors. So being here for some time also has allowed us to see what we need to change, do some modifications, work collaboratively. Uh, and that has been great. So yeah, very happy to be here. Mm. So it feel like quite a tight team then between you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are a small team. We are three historians, but we also work with architectural historians. Um, but we also work with people from design practices because, yeah, we don't believe in that um, split mm-hmm. that only historians can teach history in the same way that not only people who studied or practice architecture can teach studio. So there's there's a nice collaboration there. But yeah, it has been it has been great. Uh, opportunity as a, as a close team to work with each other and just evaluate on a monthly, almost weekly basis what's going wrong, what's going right, what needs to change, also depending on what students we have, what are their needs, what they come from, where they come from. I guess that's a really important question, where they come from and what they are um, expecting and what they want to get from us. So I think it's a dialogue in many levels, not only with colleagues, but with students. And just to get a bit more idea about your background, do you, do you practice as well? So I used to, I used to practice. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I used to practice many years ago in Colombia when I graduated from undergraduate. 
I was running my own practice and I was working as freelance uh, for architectural practices and I got like buildings built, which is usually what we understand as architecture, just to get some buildings uh, done. Uh, but I somehow had, a, I fell off with practice a bit. I was operating in a context uh, which has, as, as all you might all know, like very complicated social differences and uh, it's a very complex environment and I was working for people with loads of money. I mean, ethically, I didn't feel it was right. I could have done something else with the money that they were putting. It was a great experience working with a client. I mean, it's a, a dynamic that some people might like. I was not very comfortable uh, in it, um, but I was working one-to-one -one developing plans um, of buildings, uh, of flats, even furniture, so all sorts of scales. Mm. But I also had uh, some difficult issues in practice, which is some things that I pick up on and I discuss with my students, which was a little bit of discrimination in the construction place. A building manager couldn't be a woman or was not as respected as a man. Um, I was much younger then, so it was not so easy as a 24, 25-old to run a construction site. So yeah, I was, I was facing lots of difficulties and I thought that my place was like at the academia. Uh, so I went to academia a very long time ago. But recently, and I think it was also a little bit um, inspired by the masters I did, in which we understand architectural history as a practice that also can be materialized in different ways and not necessarily through words only. Um, I started some sort of what I call material practices, and it's basically how we could engage materially with historical objects. Somehow that has determined the way I practiced since. So my PhD, for example, I was working with historical photographs um, and the way that I was working with them was not only to interpret the photographs and the context of the photographs and well, asking broader questions, but also working with the photograph, meaning cutting it, pasting it, redrawing it. Um, and it was a way that really helped me understanding the material I was working with and somehow disrupting their meanings or proposing different meanings. Mm. I've been working like that and operating like that for some years. Uh, and more recently also, I think, because I crave to do things with my hands. Uh, so I joined a small practice, really interesting practice in based in Hove, uh, which is called Pinaki Studios, run by Arancha Villas. And she's, um, she has been a, she's a textile designer, a fabric designer, and she works with um, costume design, uh, fabric design for mostly TV, cinema productions. But our aim is also to take that design into space, so how we could think about surfaces and design of surfaces or objects based on craft, but also on innovation and technologies that are basically designed for textile printing or digital means of production. You talked about um, sort of the ethical side made you want, sort of want to move out of it when you were in, in Colombia and you yeah. touched upon the yeah. social issues as well. I guess it's, it's sort of fitting just to ask the quick question, I guess, what do you sort of make of everything going on in Colombia at the moment from, a, from afar? Yeah, it's it's sad to be far sometimes. And of course, the reality that you get here is not as if you would live there. Um, I am adjunct faculty member at the Universidad de Los Andes, so I still have some sort of relation with them. It's just started, so it's starting to build up. It would be really interesting for me, and I guess also for the school, to have a link with Colombia and operate more directly in the context. It's sad uh, to be away. I guess there's so many things going on. I mean, the, all the peace treaty, the hope that peace would be finally achieved after so many years of civil war, which I lived all of them in the city, and then seeing how it's somehow crumbling, and then the more recent news about all these killings of um, our um, 
leaders, like more um, local and regional leaders that are trying to defend their land. It's very heartbreaking. Um, but on the other hand, it's also very encouraging to see that there are some people really engaged with the situation and working. And in a way I feel, or how it feels from here, is that there's more. there are more voices coming out and there are more voices uh, resisting, there are more voices uh, demanding, which is also very encouraging. So it would be, I think one, one of my constant questions is how could I engage with those voices coming from my original, from, from Colombia basically, but being abroad and how to bridge a dialogue between the two contexts, a productive dialogue between both. Mm. Um, you're mainly here to talk about a symposium yes. which um, you've jointly organised, um, Fielding Architecture, Feminist Practices for a Decolonised Pedagogy. Can you summarise what uh, you're going to be talking yes, about? Yes, yes, of course. No, it's it's very exciting. It's coming together nicely. It's going to be at the University of Brighton in June 24th and 25th. It's somehow the, the symposium comes out as a as a result of many years of discussion with my very good friend and, and colleague Emma Cheetel. She's now based at the University of Sheffield. She used to work here in Brighton. And we have collaborated for some years now. But we always had the question on why do we teach like this? How do we teach? What do we teach? Um, because I guess our immediate context and from which we operate is on the one hand side the university, but on a, on a smaller scale, the classroom and because we all have students from different backgrounds, Emma is British, but I am Colombian, and I also have like questions of why am I teaching the same I was taught. Um, so there's a whole question about master narratives and the way we teach actual humanities, which was somehow, how do I put it, I was not necessarily struggling with it, but it made me a bit, um, I saw that I was replicating what I had been taught back in Colombia, which was very strange, but here. So it comes from the question of how we could... Um, what forms of gendered history and theory can architecture take? What are our modes of operation? How do we teach? How do we learn from others? And how can we exchange with critical thinkers both inside and outside academy? How do we operate within these established frameworks, historical and institutional? It's an inter interdisciplinary symposium that uh, proposes to explore and question the practice of teaching architectural history and theory, uh, primarily focused in the UK context, though... Uh, we welcome a debate from and dialogues with our context, but always from a feminist and critical perspective. Mm. So somehow that is uh, what how the symposium was conceived. Uh, we opened a call, hoping to have people from very different geographies, very different places, hoping to enrich the discussion here. Um, or how could that be the basis of wider discussion on how we teach actual humanities, more broadly speaking? We have brilliant uh, invited speakers. Uh, so we have Katie Lloyd-Thomas from Newcastle University. She's um, She was my PhD supervisor. She, her work is great. And um, the reason why we invited her was because she has always been very critical about these canonical constructs that somehow determined um, architectural history theory. We have um, Parler from Australia. So Naomi Stead and Justine Clark are going to come from Australia. Uh, and Parler, for the ones who don't know what they they do, I mean, it's it's a really interesting uh, collaborative practice who f that focuses on questions of um, equality and diversity in the in the architectural practice, and they are trying to bring that question to architectural education. Uh, we'll have a video from Leslie Loco from South Africa, who has always been very vocal about how to decolonize um, architectural pedagogy, and we also will have a video performance from Juliana Preston from New Zealand. So that also um, 
somehow uh, addresses the same questions in this time through a video performance. So this, I think we have these invited speakers, but we also have a really strong uh, body of speakers coming. All really interesting papers talking about different practices, talking about their own experiences in the schools where they teach, um, talking about possibilities of transgressing or disrupting the modes of teaching and practice that um, are somehow very rooted in our in our discipline. Um, so it's it's going to be very exciting. I think one of the things that is more exciting about the symposium is that we'll have two days and we'll have um, the first day will be paper-based, so as a conference, people giving papers. Um, but the second day, we will be having workshops of roundtables. And I think that is really interesting to see what sort of collaborative work comes out of that. The symposium focuses on four areas, which are critiques, contents, modes and sites of writing and research, and modes and sites of teaching. I hope it will be a very vivid and lively discussion, and hopefully we'll have lots of people attending. Everyone is invited. You could all uh, either join us for the first day for the papers or just be another participant of the roundtables. So we, we, will, we welcome everyone. And hopefully, it's very well attended. Mm. Uh, we'll put all the details in the in the in the podcast description. You, you you speak about how it's sort of focused on the in the UK, but obviously, you spoke just now about your um, sort of frustration with the system of how it was all working in Colombia. So, yeah. sort of born out of that from a starting point. Yeah, I think initially it was um, we really struggled on how to bring this discussion to a wider audience or to engage collaboratively with other people working around the same questions because these questions I mean they are not new um, in South Africa they've been going on for a long time in the US as well Australia or former colonies as well um, but we somehow struggled on how to bring these discussions together or how to get people talking to each other initially we thought of applying for a network grant but that somehow the spirit of the grant was not the same as just inviting people to come openly and talk about these questions in a symposium. But this hopefully would be the first step of many other collaborations. So ideally, we would like to bring some sort of similar symposium to Colombia or to other geographies um, and see how would it change, what type of questions change, what type of interests, how we envision it is like an open platform for discussion. Um, and hopefully this would be one iteration of, of many others. I mean, how is the sort of whole canon of architectural history changed by looking at it from a feminist perspective it's quite a yeah. broad question i guess but exactly i think and the yeah it's a really broad question somehow the question of the canon is one of the questions that comes up more uh, often we have been having these discussions really lively <laughs> and very engaging discussions in first year for example that is the year that we have like this survey courses like okay we have let's say the what have been called the master uh, narratives or the architects that everyone knows of, modern architects, Corbusier, Cropius, or movements as the Bauhaus. I mean, very canonical, very important figures and movements in the history of architecture. But we also have to recognize that there's so much more that we don't know of that's not written in English, that necessarily is published. So one, one thing is to acknowledge that it exists, but also how, how productive it could be for all of us to engage with them. There's lots of efforts, and I think that's one of the things that you could read more often in the press on how to, in terms of the canon, how it's male-driven, and how women, for example, have been somehow erased a little bit from the history uh, of architecture and how they are coming back. Um, one of the main cases that has, I think, still on the press quite a lot was um, how Robert Venturi got the Pritzker Prize and Denise Scott Brown didn't. And there was a whole uh, movement about asking the Pritzker to also give the prize to her. 
So all these all these movements and all these discussions are very vivid, very lively. But I guess in terms of the symposium, the question of the canon is one of many others. This question also, for example, about how we understand global architecture and what does that mean? Uh, because global architecture might not necessarily be global. Or why do we understand the West and some people even call it the rest? So who's the West and who's the rest? And why is this dichotomy um, present? Um, how, for example, we bring into the curriculum indigenous knowledge and indigenous writings, which has been, again, one of the things that have been more discussed recently uh, in different scenarios. Uh, but the question about decolonizing comes from our everyday practice in the classroom. Uh, in the U.S., there's a very big movement about somehow correcting history. Um, I don't think the aim, our aim is necessarily that. Of course, it touches upon that and it touches upon different movements in different places. But I guess it's more for us to develop a certain awareness of what we do and how we do it and what are the structures of power, even from institutional levels uh, or or the structures, master, master structures that somehow determine or have determined the way that we teach history and theory uh, and what can we do with them. How hopeful are you that um, symposiums like this will be able to change that then? Well, I think it's just a, a start. I guess it's um, just opening the discussion. I think it's a good start. Um, I was I was talking to a colleague the other day and he was saying, well, it's a little bit ambitious to think that you're going to decolonize the curriculum at one symposium. I think, well, if that's not precisely the aim. We are hoping that also this symposium becomes um, like a joint effort and hopefully joins other voices in different places that are somehow asking the same questions. I mean, at the University of Brighton has a very strong uh, group of decolonizing the curriculum as well. So these questions are also very vivid within the university. I think that not necessarily vivid, uh, as vivid in architecture. Uh, architecture has been a little like, step behind. Uh, but yeah, we're getting there, and I think we want to join these uh, broader discussions also, and I think more importantly, through a feminist lens. So in terms of what can we do, how we do it, in terms of tactics, in terms of tools, um, that can inform our everyday practice of teaching architectural history and theory. Mm. Uh, we'll put a link in the podcast description, as I say, for more details and how people can attend. It'll be held at the University of Brighton's Edward Street Building on the 24th and 25th of June. And let's talk a bit more about your work here, Catalina. Um, so what's, what interested you into a move into higher education? Because you said you had the sort of opportunity and then it sort of grew. So what was it about it that um Yeah, it was... My parents both teach, so I think okay. I also had uh, some sort of teaching blood. <laughs> Although my father was in higher education, my mother has um, like a kindergarten, so extremes. Uh, but yeah, I was raised in a family of teachers, let's say, uh, and and more broadly in my family, most of, I mean, many of my cousins have somehow gone into teaching. Um, so there's something, I guess, in our nature. I was very lucky to have the opportunity to join the architecture school in Bogota very soon after 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 I graduated as an undergraduate student. And I was really supported there. It was amazing. I had really brilliant colleagues. Uh, and the time there, which was almost seven years, gave me the opportunity to engage differently with what we understand as teaching. Uh, so I was running first-year studio, but I was also teaching history theory in fourth year. Um, back home, the undergraduate was a five-year undergraduate program. Uh, I also had the opportunity, for example, to work with a colleague and develop a journal, an architecture journal that's still around, the Architectura, which is a brilliant journal. Um, so I somehow could engage with different um, 
ways of teaching relating with students, bringing some discussions onto the table and engage them in these discussions. I think architecture is a critical practice nowadays. I mean, it has yeah, as many others, of course, um, but it deals with the built environment um, and it has a direct impact in what we do through words, in writing, because I think that's another way of engaging with it also through material practices of building or other sorts of practices, social practices and other sorts of things. Um, so I was very happy and I was really lucky to have that opportunity. And I guess somehow being there, I always thought that I wanted to teach and I had always been like a teaching assistant and being in the academic environment was always very inspiring for me and very encouraging. I was always reading, trying to see what was out, who was building new things, uh, what was the new theoretical body of knowledge. So after, after working in Colombia for some years, I wanted to pursue a master's and the question was where to do it um, and I wanted to go abroad uh, to, to do it. I mean after doing some research and um, I, I felt very close to what some scholars and academics were doing in the UK and the master's at the market for me was something I would I could very easily relate to and I was very excited when I got a place there. Um, also because again it gave me on the one hand side, the language I use today to teach and to write, um, it introduced me to feminism really strongly, I have to say. Sometimes I was a little bit reluctant. Um, and I remember discussions in the Masters in one of the seminar rooms of one of our tutors, Jane Rendell, asking, so do you think feminism would be useful for you? And we're like, no, 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 no. Very reluctant somehow. Um, but yeah, with time, it has become my own language as well. So that, that on the one hand side, and it also made me understand that history, again, is not just writing. Of course, writing is really important, doing research is really, really important, but there are different ways of engaging with historical, historical material and of making history. And after that, I just wanted to keep on doing the PhD. So somehow when I came to England to do the master's, I knew that I was going to stay for longer. I just wanted to do the master's, do the PhD. was very lucky also having a place uh, at Newcastle, but I always somehow felt... Even during the master's and during the PhD, I was teaching. I never stopped teaching. And that's something I really, it's very precious for me. It's very precious to have some time with students. It's very precious to hear their thoughts. It's very precious to be in a very lively and very engaging debate. Sometimes when that happens in the classroom, it's one of the most beautiful and empowering experiences for all of us. Uh, because as we teach from, we, we teach them, but we learn from them as much as they learn from us. So I think these this, uh, dialogues and these collaborations also with colleagues um, for me has always been something that gives me, it's really inspiring. We've got the, the graduate show. It's a brilliant way to, to showcase the work of final year students, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really, um, so it's, it's very emotional for all of us and very exciting in, in many ways because on the one hand side, it, the summer show is like a showcase so we can see what's happening in all studios, uh, displayed up on the walls, what's happening in humanities, what's happening in tech, but also what's happening not only within architecture, but interiors, planning, product design. Uh, that's going to be really nice because we're all going to be on the same floor displaying the work. And it's also really nice for us to see the work up. Somehow it reflects each student and their own trajectory and their own interests and their own aims, how far they've come up to, up to now. So it's also like a, it's a showcase, it's a display, but it's also a celebration. And yeah, we hope that you could all join us. It's going to be really nice. And there's lots of interesting work. Um, and the school has put lots of effort in trying to make a very nice show. We have demolished walls that have wall partitions that have been there for years, trying to make space to display plans and sections and models and 
Um, so it's nice. It's in-house. So we are the hosts. So that also makes it very nice. At the end of each podcast, we ask some questions away from your work. Five fairly simple questions. Yes. We'll see how you get on with them. Um, first one, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self? I've been thinking a lot about that recently, actually, and it's all triggered because of the symposium. And one of the things that I guess I would have, uh, what advice I should have given my younger self was to speak out and just to stand for myself a little bit more, to be a little bit more vocal, to talk about your needs, talk about what you want, talk about what you what you wish, talk about what you... I mean, just, just be a little bit more vocal, I guess. Uh, sometimes, because we don't know who are we talking to or in which context we're talking to, we keep things for ourselves, and I used to do that a lot. But I guess it's very important to not necessarily be... I mean, it's very important to know how when to step back, but it's also very important to to speak to speak up mm. uh, could you pick a favorite place in Sussex that's a difficult one I moved to Brighton two years ago uh, and I've been really enjoying it I lived in London before I think for me the seafront is the best it's, it's yeah it's the most beautiful place and the favorite place is tricky I I like very much Virginia Woolf's house the garden and the little writing cabin was very beautiful so I guess that's one of my favorite places but I also enjoy walking along the Seven Sisters or going to Rottingdean for an ice cream in a sunny afternoon. Very nice. Yeah. Um, can you describe your perfect weekend? My perfect weekend it starts with a very nice coffee, <laughs> very strong coffee in the morning. Um, I have a three-year-old son, uh, so he's the one who decides what we do, basically. But but we very much enjoy basically going to the beach, I guess. that It brings us lots of peace and lots of quiet and... I mean, the beach for us is like our favorite place. Doesn't matter where it is. So we could just go down to a Hove Lawn, so we could go to Rottingdean, uh, as long as we spend some time by the beach. It also brings me very nice memories of my childhood in the Caribbean. So I guess th- there's something that relates to it. But we also do. We, we really like to do little uh, trips. So if I have one day by the beach, and then I could take a train either to Chichester, or like a town nearby, Rye, Eastbourne. Yeah, that would be my my weekend. Hopefully with a visit to a town or gallery or something like that. What are you currently reading, watching and or listening to? You don't need to pick all three. Uh, I'm reading, um, I'm not very good at watching. Um, I'm reading two Colombian authors at the moment. Uh, sometimes I like to try to go back to Spanish. Uh, it makes me feel closer to home. And they are friends of mine, so we study all together in the university and uh, their books are published. So one is Andres Felipe Solano, whose work is, is really great, and Mel Pascoar. They both tackle differently, um, or they both somehow address interesting questions about Colombia, but also um, I feel that how the way they write relates very much to our university years or our own experiences growing up back home. So they have been brilliant. And I also recently came across um, a book by Hector Abad Faciolince, which is also a Colombian writer called The Farm. Um, and that one also is um, is really really good. I mean, you can find it Waterstones translated to English, and it's a book about about farms in Colombia and how uh, and the question of land and the question of the civil war and the guerrillas. And uh, so it's a it's a novel, fiction novel, um, but it somehow situates or goes back to those years or very difficult years back home in which going to a farm or going to some land not necessarily close to cities could be a potential danger in terms of who was going to come at the moment and I guess also again because of the symposium I'm reading a bit of Spanish and Colombian writers yeah 
And if you could invite three people to dinner, past or present, who would they be and why? I think more than inviting them to dinner, I would like to have like conversations with them hmm. um, over a coffee. I am also um, very intrigued about my past recently and like my family. And if, I mean, Colombia is a very recent country also. This independence was in 1810, so it's we don't have a long history. So I think it would be nice to go back and see what happened. We come from a little town, um, from, a, from a small town uh, in the mountains, very beautiful town. Um, I guess I would have liked to spend some time there with my great-grandparents or just to get closer to the life they had. So I don't necessarily think it's a person. I think it would be nice. I mean, I'm, I love my family. I'm very close to them. I miss them. Um, I, I, I really miss them. So I think it would be nice to just to be all together, but like with older generations, having a big lunch in the square of this town. And the third person, I guess uh, that was a difficult one. Um, I mean, the, the two people that I would like to sit and have a conversation with um, in terms of, of my work, I guess, and what informs the way I, I practice and the way I teach. Uh, and one would be Silvia Kusikanki, who's an activist in Bolivia, who's very vocal about uh, decolonial feminism uh, and about how somehow... In her words, um, we shouldn't talk about decolonizing, but anti-colonizing. So, uh, in terms of, of 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 politics, and I recently came across also uh, to the Espinosa Miñoso from from Santo Domingo. So, there's a group of feminists in Latin America who have been working for for a long time about questions of first decolonizing feminism, about our nature as as a mixed race. What is uh, how as as mixed race as mestizos. What's our role in this discussion, which is very different to the one that someone from coming from the UK or coming from Australia. So there's a side specificity to it that I really wish I could know more about or read more about or, or just have them to have a nice discussion around it. Thank you to Catalina for her time. You can find out more about the symposium, Fielding Architecture, Feminist Practices for a Decolonized Pedagogy on the 24th and 25th of June by clicking or tapping the links in the podcast description. Remember, if you're not already, you can like and subscribe to this podcast via your favorite podcast app. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many more. Just search the University of Brighton where you can also listen to previous episodes. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening.